and uh, welcome to another exciting edition of Pep Talk, the Persuasive Evangelism Podcast. I'm Andy Bannister from Solas, and I'm joined as ever by Christy Mayer, uh, who's currently at uh, Oak Hill College in London, I guess. How are you doing, Christy? I'm groovy. Thank you very much, Andy. How are you getting on? I am doing pretty well. Groovy. We can't, we can't be that. In fact, groovy is a good segue into our guest today, because our guest today is joining us from perhaps the, the world centre of groove, is coming all the way from Nashville. Uh, he's not a singer. He is, in fact, Sam Albury, pastor, author, speaker, many other things. Sam, welcome to Pep Talk. Good to be with you. I do sing in the shower, so I do sing, but just not in front of other people. We won't ask you to give us a to give us a rendition. I, I reckon, although although we could get Christy to sing as well, because I Christy <laughs> sings, I believe. <laughs> <laughs> Tries to. <laughs> Tries to. So. So, Sam, you may well be known to many listeners to the show, but there will be other people to whom you are a kind of new name. So why don't you start by telling us a bit of your bit of your story? Before we, before we get into kind of your areas around evangelism that perhaps you're known for, you know, being a bit of an expert in, it makes sense if we get a bit of your own journey to, to, to faith. So why don't you share a bit of your story and then we'll go from there. Yeah, I, I became a Christian when I turned 18. Um, hadn't really had much contact with the gospel before then. Um and it was a significant time of life because around then I was also kind of coming to terms with my own sexuality. Um, I was beginning to acknowledge that I was attracted to guys and not attracted to girls. Um, this was all in the early to mid-90s, so it's a very different cultural landscape at that point. There weren't the sort of discussions taking place that we we would assume would take place today. So, um, yeah, I was processing all of that in my own head and then – Without, you know, wasn't part of my plan, but I, I heard the gospel, became a Christian. And then obviously, when you come to know Jesus, that, that changes your view of everything. So it, it immediately gave me an opportunity to sort of think through, what do, I, what do I do with my sexuality now that I'm a follower of Jesus? And wanting to honor him and, and be faithful to him. Um, so have, have been seeking to do that over these years. And, and in the last several years, have, have sort of been speaking a bit more into that particular kind of conversation. So thanks so much um, for sharing. There's so much that, that we could ask you about um, on the basis of what you've just shared. Um, but, but praise the Lord for such a testimony. I think one of the things that, that comes to mind and, and probably others might be thinking is how on earth uh, is the gospel or was the gospel, is the gospel good news for you when you, when you first kind of received Christ? Um, and, and how, yeah, how is the gospel good news for you? Yeah, well, I, I guess it's very un, undramatic. I, I knew I needed forgiveness. As soon as I heard the gospel, I had this deep sense that if God was there, I didn't know him. And I figured that was probably on me rather than on him. Um, so I realized I, I needed the forgiveness that Christ was, was coming to bring. Um, I wasn't conscious of my sexuality being a particular factor in that. I just didn't know about what Jesus thought about that. I just knew that I needed to hear I needed forgiveness. So I knew that Jesus had died for me and risen again. I knew that he had created me and loved me. And I knew, therefore, that I could build my life on him. Um, I didn't know what that would look like. I didn't know where he would take me in terms of leading me. I didn't know what discipleship involved. I just knew that I knew him well enough that I could trust him with my whole life. And so he was good news to me because he loved me with the love that I, I most deeply needed to be receiving. Um, and Jesus is, is very honest, as we all know, in the, in the gospel accounts, he's, he's very upfront about the cost of discipleship. 
Um, I became aware of that as I took my first steps mm. of discipleship, began to realize some of what that would that would cost for me, but also could see that that was going to be the case for everyone in different ways. Hmm. It's interesting there, and I've heard other people with 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 you know similar stories to your own. So make that 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 slight time gap that you know between choosing to follow Christ and then the discipleship implications fully being worked out is one of the issues that we sometimes have perhaps in the church in terms of how we share our faith with our friends in the LGBT community that we sort of expect an, an immediate transformation. We expect someone to say, "Right, I'm going to follow Christ," and then everything is immediately sorted, or even worse, we expect them to sort their lives out before coming to Christ. But I think that process you've described there is actually quite quite helpful. Yeah, I think you're. I think you're exactly right. Um, there, there is a temptation um, sometimes if we meet, for example, a, a gay couple who aren't Christians. We feel as though we need to sort of front load our discussions with. Well, of course, you know this is something that we we believe is sinful, and as you said, we can risk even implying that that's a condition of even coming into the church. Is that you? You need to know that we think this is wrong. Um, I think in my own discipleship, it was. I mean. We weren't having these conversations, so no one was was sitting me down and talking me through my sexuality. It was all um, having, I was having to sort of figure this out on my own. But the key is that someone comes to know Jesus, mm. and Jesus Jesus then will will change us, will change our affections. Um, the Holy Spirit is given in part to to convict us of sin, and the, the Spirit's better at doing that in people's lives than than we tend to be. Um, so it can be tempting, if particularly if a gay person comes to Christ, it can be tempting for us to decide, you know, in what order their sanctification needs to happen. Um, and I, I think there's a there's we want to be helping with discipleship and instruction, but the the key thing is helping someone realise that following Jesus means, you know, putting Him first in every area of life, recognising He's going to put His fingers on all kinds of areas of our lives that are going to be tender and, and difficult areas where we won't want to give ourselves to him. And yet he, he actually moves our hearts to, to want to do that. And one of the things that I've, I've really appreciated um, listening to you, Sam, and, and reading some of your books is how you very often, not always, but in the way that you're speaking at the moment anyway, you put the emphasis on, on Jesus and the, the forgiveness that he offers and the, the life that, that he brings. I'm um, just, what would you, um, I guess, what would be some practical tips for someone mm. who is wanting to talk about Jesus meaningfully with their gay friends and who mm. feel that um, the first thing in the room isn't, isn't necessarily the person of Jesus, but everything that comes with um, gay identity and belonging mm. and culture um, how would you go about helping someone to kind of come through that to be able to see Jesus more clearly? Yeah, that's a that's a really helpful question. I think part of it is um, we want to be those who listen really well. So, again, the more I hear someone's own story, something of their own background, something of the journey they've been on, that will that will normally give me a sense of where I might start in sharing Christ with them. There's there's so many things to say about Jesus. Uh, we need wisdom to know where to start in that whole process. Um, I think the other thing I've I've learned is that it, it's good not to say to someone what we can't say to everyone. 
Hmm. And particularly in a context like this where people can feel so quickly singled out and condemned or treated differently to everybody else, just to keep showing how, you know, at every point Jesus is is doing the same thing with all of us. So all of us have to, to rethink our identity when we come to Jesus. All of us have got who we are wrong. All of us have to reckon with lots of lifestyle changes that are going to come as we follow him. All of us are going to have to reckon with saying no to some deep desires. So I just want people to know that they're on the same deal as everybody else when it comes to this. Jesus isn't treating them any differently to how he treats the rest of us. Um, I think that that can help. Mm. No, Sam, that's really, really helpful. Do you know, I wonder if one of the other challenges that you sort of touch on there is that, of course, as evangelicals, we are, you know, naturally by means of our identity, right? Wired to be truth really matters. Uh, and so sometimes we can sort of feel, well, if I don't, you know, if I don't, if I don't talk about the Bible's, you know, teach you on sexuality, I'm somehow compromising. And I always, almost wonder too, I'd love to get your thoughts on this as well, whether that's actually made worse by the kind of culture war moment we're in. Everyone else is building their identity over here. So we feel we've got to sort of set up on the opposing hill with our howitzers on all we end up doing is firing, firing shells at each other. And, um, yeah. You know, there seems to be you're suggesting there's a way to engage in evangelism that has an integrity to it, but doesn't necessarily have to lead all the time with the big sort of doctrinal battering rams. Yeah, and I sometimes wonder if in some cases the rush to say all the difficult things to prove that I've, you know, haven't compromised. I wonder if sometimes that's more about feeling good about ourselves than it is about oh, serving the other person and kind of making sure we can pat ourselves on the back. Um, rather than thinking of what is what is most going to help the person we're speaking to. Um, it's interesting that the, the Bible, which gives us such clear moral categories and teaching, mm-hmm. also has so much to say about wisdom. Mm-hmm. And not every true word is going to be a wise word in the moment, um, which is why there's so much in the Bible about being slow to speak and quick to listen. Um, and sometimes wisdom is knowing in what order to put certain truths. Um, we don't always have to start with the most countercultural, challenging point at the very beginning. Mm. Um, and so my, my rule of thumb is I, I want to start at the center, which is, is Christ and him crucified. And hopefully other things can kind of work their way out from that. Um, rather than starting with the sort of the most contentious confrontational part, because I think the difficult things Jesus has to say are best understood in the wider context of having understood who he is and why mm. he's come in the first place. So I want to kind of put that wider framework in place if I can. Could you give us some examples, Sam, of, of how you've done that in, uh, in conversations with, with friends or guests or you know, events that, that you attend? What does this look like for you? Yeah, it will slightly depend on the circumstances, obviously, but uh, I think of a, a a guy who turned up at church once and he, you know, just wonderfully said, I'm here as a visitor. I want to find out more about Jesus. Can we, can we meet up? And I remember thinking as a pastor, I, I think there's something about that in my job description somewhere in between, you know, being on 17 committees and all the rest of it. Uh, but I remember having a conversation with him over lunch and he said, listen, I just want you to know I'm a, I'm a gay man. Mm. And so I just need to know where, where Jesus is on this issue. And I remember thinking, okay, that's not where I would choose to start a conversation about Jesus, but it, I want to honor his desire to cut to the chase. Um, and I said, I'd love to share that with you. I, would you first be happy to share a bit of your own story with me? I'd love to hear how, you know, you, the journey you've been on. 
and that that just helped me to to again know what kind of tone and focus I wanted to have in that conversation. He he, he was a very hurt man. He'd been mm. out and open in the eighties and got beaten up for it and things like that. So he was he was a bruised man, and I wanted to try and reflect to him something of you know. That the Jesus who's about to say the things we're going to talk about on sexuality is the Jesus who also said, you know, you can trust him with your bruises. A bruised reed he will not break. Um, so even then, I'm still trying to make sure that he hears what he's needing to hear from Jesus in a, in a that there's some frame around it. Jesus didn't just turn up one day and then coldly say difficult things about sexuality. There's a whole context to his coming that, that mm. will help us with that. Um, another example might be someone asked me in a, in a Q&A once, do gay people go to hell, yes or no? Um, and no monosynobal is going to do full justice to, you know, what we want to share with someone. So I just said, if, if there's no hope for our gay friends, there's no hope for any of us, mm. um, which, which wasn't the question they were asking, but it was the question they should have been asking. Um, but again, mm. it was trying to show this isn't actually about gayness. It's about something deeper than that. It's something that, that is true for all of us. And there's hope for all of us. Um, so I was trying to show there that, 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 you know, being gay is not actually mm. the, the main issue here. It's something else. Mm. Do you know, it occurs to me there, Sam, I, somebody once said to me that the, the, the right answer to the wrong question <laughs> Can often actually be unhelpful and i think there's 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 an art isn't there in evangelism and sort of discerning and listening to the spirit and going okay that's what they've asked but i need to come at that slightly yeah kind of sideways you know one reason i think too we sometimes get into trouble around this issue when we try and engage our our friends in the lgbt community is is sometimes like there's a sense that on for Christians, again, for evangelicals, we're all about truth and doctrine and propositional statements. And then over on the, I don't like, I hesitate to use the word the other side, but for mm. the word the other side, it's very story based. It's a personal story. It's a relationship. It's you know, love is love and all this stuff. And and is how do we navigate that kind of world where we're we're trying almost at times to engage story with with truth, and and those two don't always match, and we can end up talking past each other. I feel sometimes. Yeah, I think that's exactly right. That the best answer, you know, narrative is what persuades people. Um, but what has shifted, you know, popular thinking over the last 30 years from being broadly not in favor of gay marriage to very much in favor of it has been narratives. People have heard lots of stories um, from gay people. They, those stories have been compelling. So if we reply to a story with just a set of bullet points of critique, we're actually missing the point. There's, there's an emotional force that comes with a narrative. Um, that we get drawn into. So the best response, I think, is, is for the church to tell her own stories and for the church to have, if the church doesn't have better stories to tell than the world around us, then we're not going to be compelling. Um, so whether it's the stories of, of people in my own situation who've, who've come to Christ from a, a gay background and have found him to be just unfathomably good, mm. whether it's parallel kind of adjacent stories of people who've had to say no to their own sexual desires in other kinds of contexts and have realized how life-giving that has been, or others who've walked through some form of deep suffering. Um, I think we need to, to make sure we're telling stories and not just mm. giving people kind of bullet point responses. 
And then there's obviously there's the bigger story of the Bible itself. I mean, the, the gospel, again, is not just a set of bullet points. It's a, it's a narrative that we're being yeah. caught up into, and that it's good to, to share that as well. Thank you so much, Sam. There's so much wisdom there. I um, was just thinking that, you know, thinking about that, that bigger narrative that we're all swept up into um, as, as Christians and as those who kind of come to, come to know Jesus. Uh, one, of the, one of the costs that you mentioned earlier on for, um, for many is, is lifelong um, celibacy, singleness, for some, not all. And you're just thinking about how the church often responds to singles, <laughs> um, just generally, you know, heterosexual or not. Um, what what do you think? What do you think the church and we can do as as individuals to help um, brothers and sisters and those who are seeking the integrity of the gospel lived out in community um, to better a uh, better bear that cost? Really. Mm. Um, I'd love to hear your thoughts on that. Yeah, it's such a key issue because Jesus says, by this will all men know that you are my disciples, by your love for one another. Um, in other words, Jesus is saying that the, the kind of, what is going to make the gospel plausible is seeing it socially embodied. Um, that there's to be a quality and presence of love among the people of God that is is otherworldly, is is not standard issue. Um, that is going to be ultimately what what pushes people over the line into into realizing the presence and reality of of Jesus among us. So, that you know, that's such a significant passage Jesus gives us there, such a significant truth he gives us there. But it, one of the things that that is reflecting is the church is not just to be a new community; it's to be a new kind of community. And if we're not offering rich community and love and family and, and healthy forms of intimacy within the church, we're actually not going to be plausible. The, the truths that we are communicating will not be plausible. Mm. Um, so this is, this is obviously about more than just singles and those who are celibate mm. because of sexuality. It, it's far broader than that. Um, but it's an example of why the message of the church sometimes has sounded completely implausible because people mm. can look into the church and think, yeah, but if you're not if you're not coupled up, you're going to be very lonely here, mm. um, in which case we're not being the, the kind of community Jesus is calling us to be. Mm. It's interesting, isn't it? That, um, that just reminds me of a, you know, another person who's written on these issues and whose story has you know, some slight overlap with your own. I think of Rosaria Butterfield, who, you know, who, who had a sort of a journey to faith through some of these issues. But of course, then she went on to write that incredible book, The Gospel Comes with a House Key, on the importance of hospitality and actually, you know, creating, as you say, church communities where people are welcome, where there's genuine hospitality, genuine community actually covers a whole multitude of problems. Actually, it doesn't say, yeah. I think if people see there's an integrity there, that even though they may disagree with us on some things, if there's a real welcome, um, that gets you over quite a lot, right? It is. And I think sometimes we, we take that and think, oh, we just got to be a bit nicer. As long as we're a bit nicer than the world is and we're doing fine. But that's that's not what the Bible is calling us into. This is this is not a superficial. It's not even just warmth. Um, it is it is a deep core commitment to one another that we're we're actually doing life together and and loving each other in deep, practical, week to week, twenty four seven, profound mm -hmm. ways. Um, 
So yeah, but but hospitality is it's not it's unsurprising then that hospitality becomes a often becomes a one of the ways in for people mm. to to really uh, come to faith in in Christ. Yeah, fantastic. Well, I can't believe it's been twenty two minutes. It's gone really kind of quickly as it often does on Pep Talk. Sam, thank you for so much of what you shared, sharing mm-hmm. your own story and just uh, just years of reflection and just practical wisdom too as well. It's been really, really helpful. Thank you for taking the time to be with us. It's a pleasure. Thanks for having me. And uh, for people who've, uh, who've been intrigued by the conversation and want to hear uh, more and uh, discover more, where's the best place where they can, where they can find you? Uh, yeah, I've got a, a slightly out of date website uh, <laughs> as, as i'm just not very good at updating it but samalbury.com will have some of, some of my things there the, the books i've written are all on amazon or places like that Brilliant. so um yeah excellent well we'll put a link to um to your slightly out of date website on the uh <laughs> <laughs> on the show notes and um i've got an out of date website and i don't think christy's even got a website have you got a website christy got a personal blog but again i don't use oh, it oh you're so behind the times <laughs> right anyway I hope uh, you listening at home or wherever you've caught this podcast have enjoyed it and uh, join Christy and I in two weeks time for another episode and another guest and we'll see you then on Pep Talk thanks for listening mm-hmm.